0: what is this, uh, 341, I don't know what it is, going down 341 here, and the first hard taco I had after the gordita, same thing happened, out the rear end of that thing, the hot sauce, the (laughs) stuff all over, so I had a half a drink, rock star, a diet rock star, (laughs) so I could stay up this late, because, you know, I'm up at the crack of dawn, that's why I didn't come for so many Fridays, I just can't handle it. So I put the napkin, I'm driving, I put the napkin down there, and I've, Got the Rockstar. I said, I gotta clean myself up. I can't go in here with just, you know, hamburger sauce and fire sauce all over the front of my pants. So I dumped the diet Rockstar in the in these pile of napkins I had. Well, it was half full, so you don't you know how you don't know when it's coming out or not? Well I just kept pouring. I didn't realize it until I felt liquid down here. So I went, Oh crap. So I pulled the napkin off and Rockstar was all down my legs. So so that's how I entered the place tonight, so, yeah, man, <laughs> rocking, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was sitting there, and I had shared this with Carol, and I think a few people have already read it on our blog site, our In Jesus site, but <laughs> at lunch today, I, I, I got a word that I just penned down, and I'm real excited about it, and, and I told Carol about it, and Carol said, "Well, just go tell Keith, you know, that you got something to share, and. I went, nah, it's kind of late, you know. I mean, didn't give him any notice or whatever. and So every time I resigned myself to not sharing with Keith that I wanted to share something, I felt like I was just going to throw up, you know. And it happened about three times, and finally I said, you know, I just got to go talk to this brother, man, or I'm going to puke all over his church, you know. Gordita, hard tacos, (laughs) wouldn't have been a good scene. But anyways, I'm going to make this as quick as I can. It'll probably be about 10 or 15 minutes if y'all can bear with me. But I really believe that it's a in-season word. And you'll have to excuse me. I'm not going to make a lot of eye contact because I just penned this down at 2.10 this afternoon. So it is not really in me yet. I just put it down as I received it during kind of a long lunch break at work. We won't tell anybody, though. It was a little longer than I should have took. Who was to blame for killing Jesus Christ? Through the centuries, blame has shifted from one nation, group, or person to another. In the attempt to answer this question, much bloodshed and persecution has resulted. Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans that killed him? Was it both? Or was it an individual such as Pilate? Uh, interestingly enough, nobody has been nor will be solely to blame. It had to be this way in God's providence. No nation or individual can accept the blame of something so divinely universal as the crucifixion of Christ. The blame can be explained through the Latin word, peccata mundi." the sin of the world. The blame falls upon us all. What is so amazing, now this is really cool, y'all, is that this was realized and explained some 400 years before the birth of Christ by Plato. You know, and most of you have heard about this Greek academic. Hey, Kevin. In writing The Republic, Plato posed a hypothetical question. Plato wondered the result of a perfectly just man coming into the world. Plato thought the man must not seem just, but be just. However, it was important that the man not be viewed as just by others, because if he were viewed as just, he would be honored and rewarded, right? And then he would not know whether he was just for the sake of justice or for the sake of honors and rewards. So Plato supposed that the man would only be clothed in justice and have no other covering. The man was to be the best of men, yet thought to be the worst. Then the man would be tested so as to see whether he would be affected by the fear of infamy. The man would continue to the hour of his death being just and seeming unjust. Now, this is the question that Plato was thinking to himself. What if a perfectly just man came into the world? What would happen to this man? Plato goes on to ask what fate of such a man would be and answered his own question. He stated, he will be scourged, racked, bound. He will have his eyes burned out. And at last, after suffering every kind of evil, he will be impaled. 400 years before Christ. It seems that Plato saw the inevitable fate of perfection in an imperfect world the outcome would have been the same at any time in history, even today. Torture and death would have been placed on human nature along with the blame. Now, we have to remember that it was commonplace for people in a remote and obscure Roman province that God Almighty was killed and murdered. I mean, you know, this, this was like in no place special. It was in this remote really not a very densely populated area, that God was killed and murdered. And this sentence in crucifixion was performed with no fanfare. And actually, it was a matter-of-fact routine at that time in history, right? Matter-of-fact. Nothing was done out of the ordinary, not even our human nature. It was normal then to do this stuff. We tend to judge the behavior of all these Romans, Jews, officials, and even the common people as if they knew in advance what was going on or whom they were dealing with. However, they did not know the meaning of all the events that transpired before their eyes. I mean, look, Jesus' own disciples, they only had an inkling of what was going on, and they responded in like manner in denying Christ, right? This is going to get better. A question I pose is this, would the people have acted the way they did if they had known that crucifying, well, that they were crucifying the creator of all things, you think they still would have done it? Would Herod have ordered the killing of those innocent babies and children had he known that one of those children was his redemption to heaven? You think he would have done it? If so, then that was truly a wicked and perverse generation. We like to think that they were. That was a wicked and perverse generation. We also tend to think it would never happen in our generation. When we think about it, God Almighty was given the most horrifying death that humanity could come up with. God was brutally murdered by people just like us in a religious society just like ours. The Roman Empire was the most civilized nation at that time, right? And we like to think of ours as, right? The religious system in Jerusalem was the center of worship of the one true God, right? But it was in this most highly civilized society within a religious system, just like ours, that Jesus Christ was crucified. Now, here's the prophetic application. This is the history, okay? Let's have a little fun here for just about five minutes. This is why we came here prophetically. The prophetic application is that a type of crucifying still occurs today that does not have to happen. It's the crucifying of the anointing. The crucifying of Christ is still happening today. Is Christ Jesus' last name? My name's Mr. Christ. I'm here to save you. It's not a name. It's a title. Does anybody know what Christ means? He means the anointed to be rubbed with oil, the anointed one. See, Christ was not Jesus' last name. But yet the anti-Christ is the spirit that is at work in the crucifying of the anointing on a daily basis, Right? Why wouldn't this spirit, as John said, that is at work in the church today, in his day, as it is in our day, you would think that this spirit would be the anti-Yeshua, the anti-salvation, the anti-savior, right? Yet it's called the spirit of anti-anointing. That's the spirit that is at work in the church today. This is the spirit of religion in full effect. This is the tension that's in the church down the road with this church. The tension between that church and that church, that church of God, that Baptist church, that primitive Baptist church, that Methodist church, that charismatic church, this full gospel church, that Mennonite church, it's the spirit of Antichrist and the crucifixion of Christ is still happening today beyond the cross, and this is what this season's about. This is what Passover is about. It's about passing over that spirit of death, hmm? anti anointing. John stated that this spirit. We got about four minutes. John stated that this spirit was active in the church during the first century as it is today, and we're still experiencing the crucifying of the anointing and the anointed ones in the church today. If you are anointed, you are being crucified, just like Christ, by the religious, in the center of the most civilized society, and the center of worship of the one true God pagans could give a flip about you. Amen? I can only hope and pray that this world would be tested, this word, by the spirit of God within you. The spirit of religion has been systematically killing or paralyzing many of the anointed ones that the Lord desires to bring into our fellowships, like Savannah, Like Jessup, this won't be easy, but it's going to be worth the labor of love. It's going to be worth it. The spirit of religion has been systematically killing and paralyzing our anointed ones. True and genuine prophetic ministry has found virtually very limited space within the body of Christ as a whole, and fivefold ministry function is suffocating as the result of crucifixion. What does crucifixion do? It suffocates. It's suffocating the anointing within the church, it's suffocating our destiny, it's suffocating where we should be. We've had 2,000 years to get this right, we've had 2,000 years to relive the footsteps and the power of Jesus Christ but we're suffocated because we're being crucified by each other in the center of civilization of the one true God by the religious. It's the controlling agenda of the Antichrist spirit. Now, we'll end with this. It's about when Mary ran to the tomb. when Jesus was resurrected. This is so cool, man. And the Bible says that she ran and she came to Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. The Bible says that Mary saw the tomb was empty, right? It's a good word, Saul. She saw that the stone had been rolled away and somebody had taken the Lord's body. Now, was this an accurate statement? What do you all think? Was it the gardener? (laughs) I mean, who took him? Did you take him? (laughs) I mean, did somebody really take him? Well, of course not. Nobody took him. But here we have God's word. And God is expounding upon Mary. The Holy Spirit's going, look what Mary did. Look what Mary said. It was wrong. Imagine the Spirit of God, God's essence, saying, look what Mary said about me. She was dead wrong. Nobody took him. He was resurrected, right? What Mary had seen was according to her eyesight in the natural, right? And she discerned it from a natural perspective. She had just based what she saw on her past experience. I mean, if you went in there, you would have said the same thing, right? Do you think you're more spiritual than Mary? What would have you said at that time? Holy crap, somebody took him. (laughs) I mean, he was there, you know, right? How'd that stone get rolled away? Somebody must have took him. Somebody rolled the stone away and took him. Now, what Mary saw with in that book of John, that original language, that word is "blepo," b-l-e-p-o, and it means to just to casually see. It's natural eyesight. She was using her natural eyes, right? Now, the Bible contingent says two minutes, brother. Peter therefore went out and the other disciples. And we're going to the tomb. So Mary went back. She told them, so they went, Woo, man, we gotta go check this out. So they're running. Peter and John are running. The Bible says that John beat Peter, and I believe it's because Peter was probably fat, you know, a little bit heavier, you know. Don't don't just get the idea that Peter was kinda like kind of like me, you know, like if Kevin and I or Carol and I raised, Carol would wipe me out, man. I mean, I'd be like <laughs> I'd be like Peter. <laughs> you know. So Peter and <laughs> Peter and John get there to the tomb. And the Bible says that uh, Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and they both ran together, and the other disciple <laughs> outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes laying there, yet he did not go in. He was scared, right? Now, the word for Saul, that he saw... The linen clothes lay in there is the same word that Mary saw with Bleppo. Isn't it interesting? B L E P O. He was just looking with just natural eyesight. Like 2020, 2040, whatever he had. Mary and Peter were seeing things the same way. They were in complete agreement at this point. Crap somebody take you know, somebody took him. Then the Bible goes on to say, then Simon Peter came following him and went in. I'm sorry, that was John. Then finally Simon Peter catches up and following him, and then he went into the tomb. Okay? We have progress, right? There's no fear. Peter's going to step into this thing. And Peter saw the linen clothes laying there as well. And a handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, what's interesting here is Peter goes in. He wants to step into this thing. And the word for Saul that Peter was looking was Therio. Isn't that cool? Different word. Same word, Saul, in the Bible. Says S-A-W, same thing. Different, origi- different original text. We now see, see that Peter went into the tomb. Peter is pondering the facts, and we have progress. We have a combination of natural eyesight and vision. We have a combination. We're getting closer, right? However, we don't base our faith and our spiritual discernment on theory you base it on fact right look you won't truly faith is the substance of things hoped for the substance is substance invisible think about that it's the substance it's real In other words, we have true and genuine faith that's unwavering when we see substance. Look, God's not playing games with us, man. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not, catch me if you can, see me if you want to, you know, kind of ducking here and there, you know. Maybe in 20 years, you know, if you're good for 20 years, I'll let you see me. He doesn't play that, man. It's the substance. He's substance of things hoped for. He wants us to see him. When you see him, nothing can waver your faith, right? Or the things that are hoped for. You've seen it. You've got vision. Now, when the other disciple who came to the tomb first, John, well, he, would, he decided that he would go in also. And he saw and believed. Now, that word for saw is idol. E-I-D-O. What's that all about? We have three words for Saul in one paragraph. Saw means Ido. It means to see with understanding. To see without eyes. To have vision. Revelation vision, man. You're seeing into the dynamic of the real reality. Do you know that the natural vision that you see in, that this right here is not the real reality? This is a creation from the original reality. We base our faith. I have faith that Daylene's going to drive a white Cadillac out of here. And you know what? You can pin me down with a gun. I'm telling you, she's driving out of here with a white Cadillac, I'm telling you. That's how assured I am of that. but that is not as real as the kingdom of God because this is a creation from the real reality. This is a spinoff. It's not the real thing, man. This is a temporary dimension of space and time. So when you catch a vision of the real reality, what do you think that's going to do for your faith, man? You're supernatural. Then you're not just thinking supernatural. Going to a supernatural conference. Pump me up with supernatural. Lay your supernatural hands on me. Oil my forehead with supernaturalness. <laughs> <laughs> you are supernatural then. You know what I mean? Yeah, you are. <laughs> We're almost done. Look, man, John saw and believed. I do. He saw with understanding and revelation and vision. And look, man, the Lord is calling forth a people with vision. Man, if you knew my story, you would, unbelievable. A people who understand and see, see clearly that the cross is bare and the tomb is empty. The same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is the same mighty power that resides and works within those who believe and call upon his name. It's the same power. On a little side note, it's the same fire that we keep proclaiming, the fire of God. You know the fire of God that we saw? I saw it up on that screen. Was it coming off Natasha or something? That was fire coming off of you, man. That was on that picture I saw. Man, it was a big old, man, man, that fire thing? What was, What was, What is that? I saw it the other Sunday and there was like a picture of you on a piano and there's fire coming off you. No, they caught that on picture. Do you know that that fire is the same fire that was on Carmel that came down from heaven? Same fire that you read in Revelation in the bowls that's come down from heaven? Same fire that spoke to Moses isn't that cool the fire of God is the same source it's the same fire the same fire that came upon Natasha's heads the same fire that God spoke to Moses through man he doesn't have like different fires like fire A and fire B and fire C <laughs> uh, fire D <laughs> that was just a little caveat I mean that wasn't part of this or anything John moved from the realm of the natural into the supernatural in just a moment of time. Look how quick that was. He stepped in, boom, right? He saw in the spirit realm. And my prayer for you is that you would truly see and believe and experience Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. The Lord has given you vision, as Natasha said, and a dream. I encourage you to step into your vision and dreams. Look, life is too short to look back, man. It's your dress rehearsal for eternity, right? Got one shot at this thing. There's no take two. Act five. Cut, take, start over. That's it, man. Go for it. Look, man. You know why people who grow old in this day and age are grumpy farts? Because they're eaten up with regret. They wish they can go back in time, right, and start over. Tell me that's not true. Bitterness eats its own mother. People who are elderly in this day and age, the reason why they're not living the golden years and the abundant life is because they're eating up with regret. If I would have raised my kids better, if I would have done this career better, if I just would have stayed in school, if I just would have done that, God, I wish I could go back to the eighth grade. I'd be rich. Come on. Regret. It's never too late, man. Look, one of the greatest things on your, on, in your final days is look back over the landscape of your life and have no regrets. But you know what? They can stop here. I can't help what I did yesterday, but I can help what I do today, and I can help what's going on tomorrow. And whatever your dreams, whatever your visions are, whatever needs to be resurrected, man, those things need to happen this weekend. It's never too late. It's never too late to change a career. Don't let them lie to you. Don't let them lie to you that you're too old, that you're too young, that you're too stupid, you're not smart enough, that you're not this, you're not that, you are this, you are that. That's hogwash. I'm an aerospace engineer with no college. I believe, man. I'm crazy enough to believe that I could be one. Supernatural life, man. We can live it, man. We can believe it. We can see it. This is what I want to do, man. Who's going to stop you? You. Don't be eaten up with regret. Two more sentences. Well, three. This is just some scripture here to end with. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. Isn't this cool, man? John saw and believed at that tomb, at the resurrection, at that Passover. And you know what happened from that day forward? He wasn't eaten up with regret. What happened to John in that tomb? That spiritual transformation would continue for the rest of his life to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who who got that word? Who got that vision? Same guy, right? That's kick butt, isn't it? Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like flames of fire, and his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the shining in its strength. And when I saw him, John, Ido. I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand, the hand of blessing, right? On me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore.
1: Anybody have anything they want to say? While you're making up your mind, I'll say what I thought about. You cannot step into that tomb and ever be the same. He went in, and when he came out, he was different. Well, actually, he was transformed in that place. I'd never noticed that before. But he did have a choice as to whether or not he would act on what he experienced in there. You know what our trouble is? Our trouble is we choose not to act on our experience while we're in there, and we come out very much the same as we did when we went in. Afraid, troubled, disbelief. Refusing to absolutely and totally rely on the power of God to to, to transform not only us but the world around us. You know what I believe this weekend is going to do for a lot of us? I believe believe our eyes are going to be opened a little bit. And I I think worship tonight and what Danny shared is going to help us do that. But if you ever wondered what would happen if you absolutely and totally fully collapsed into the revelatory vision that we have capacity to use? Ever wondered what would happen to have such keen insight into every situation in life, into every encounter in life, to be able to apply revelatory vision in everything that we do and in everything we encounter? Have you ever thought about that? Did you know you have the capacity for that? Because you've been anointed that way. You've got that capacity. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Then yeah, you just do it. You stop looking at things in the natural and you start looking for the spiritual application and implication of everything that you're involved in. You know? You know, what, what's what's really the deal here? I know what I see, but what's really the deal here? I know I see somebody who is standing before me, sick. But what's the real deal here? We're on a journey, people, and uh, it's an exciting journey. Don't underestimate not only who your God is, but don't underestimate on, don't esti- underestimate who you are as well. Okay. Because He lives in you. Don't go back and, and live the same drudgery and the same defeat and the same disbelief that you lived in yesterday. Don't do that, whatever you do. God has got the most incredible thing laid up for you and all He's asking you to do is embrace it. As I was reading all of, the, all of the scriptures today concerning the crucifix of Jesus up to the end of resurrection day, I was so amazed at the people the, the, the people who had lived with Jesus every single day for three years. And they'd heard him preach. They saw the miracles. They knew who he was. Some of them saw him absolutely disappear before their very eyes all his little neutrons and protons and atoms and quarks and stuff just disappeared and they saw that they saw him miraculously multiply food and feed thousands of people but yet when confronted with the with what they thought was the re, when they were confronted with the reality of an empty tomb they couldn't process that and one after one beginning with the women then to his disciples to peter and to john to Thomas, to the two on the road, to Emmaus, to all the other disciples, they couldn't get past the natural view of the tomb. And Jesus spent an entire, I'm going to share this with you, he spent an entire day convincing people that he actually was risen from the dead. His entire first day that he came out of the grave was spent convincing unbelievers who should have been believing that he was alive. He even, listen, he even had to sit down and eat fish and honeycomb with them to show them it would not drop through his chest cavity and out his heels. That's exactly right. And they were an absolute wonder about this. I'm going to share with you Sunday, he did one thing at the end of that day that changed everything. There was one act that he did that allowed them to capture the absolute glory and power of their inheritance. One thing, it knocked my little socks off because it was nestled and cuddled up in a place that we often don't read about and don't look at. I'm going to tell you, people, he is alive. And what you're experiencing in in, in your, your sighted world is not what he's got for you. That's not the thing. What he wants you to see is what Danny talked about. He wants you to see the real reality. Some of you looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. But listen to me. Your problems are not your problems. Your challenges that the enemy sends you are really not your challenges. Those icky situations that it's got like, it's got like, octopus tentacles that just keep pulling you back um, that's not real you know who you are you're a person who lives in dominion not because of some unique specialness because of who you are but because of who he is who lives in you and you have got the absolute total potential of the ages living inside of you You can overcome, you can be victorious, you can can enjoy inheritance and victory. You can walk through things that absolutely, totally frustrates the enemy. Did you know the enemy has thrown a lot of stuff at some of you and he is absolutely and totally frustrated because it hasn't stopped you yet? He is so frustrated. Y'all don't understand just how frustrated he is. Some of you simply are not paying attention to him anymore. Do you know how he dislikes being ignored? I want to invite you to try a new tactic. Ignore him. Don't justify him. Don't speak to him. Don't acknowledge his presence. Absolutely and totally capture your mind and your heart and your spirit on the one who has promised to never leave you and forsake you, you concentrate on that and you ignore what the enemy has done in your life and is doing in your life and you will be absolutely and totally amazed how small and insignificant he'll become. Because I'm going to tell you, at the tomb that day, he was the single most insignificant insignificant in the history of creation did you know on that one day in scripture on that one day in scripture that is one of the one of the few accounts of history where you won't see him working somewhere I believe he was hiding Okay, read the the text. Read read all the accounts. I believe he was hiding. He was so scared of what happened. He thought that the moment Jesus came out of that grave was going to be it for him. He was waiting for the abyss to be opened. And he was hiding somewhere. Of course, God knew where he was. The little imp. Peon. When we learn to walk in who we are, you will find out and understand and experience days, weeks, and months when he hides. You see, I believe that. That's, that's where I'm at. He's going to hide from you. He's going to hide from us. He's going to hide from the victorious church. He's going to hide from people who are walking arm in arm, in, 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 in synchronized destiny each part doing what they've been called to do the church has not yet got to the place where she can absolutely and totally march in step with who she is yet but she's learning and when she learns that the enemy will hide he will run, he will disappear